My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 180 of Legally Clueless. Thank you for being part of the fam. It's really so awesome to have you here. I'm recording this during the day. No sound of a water pump, no sound of children. (laughs) This is great. I am moving away from doing night shifts, which is awesome. I've gotten a full night's sleep. Anyway, first and foremost, if you're new around here, audio episodes like this go out every single Monday. And as for our video series that is ongoing on our YouTube channel, there's new episodes there every Friday. Make sure you join our Legally Clueless community on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. So if you head over there, sign up. The first newsletter went out this past week. Shout out to the over 200 people who've already signed up. I hope you got the message. If you didn't, check your spam. (laughs) It was a special message from me. And once you're on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com, you can get links to all of our social media pages. You can listen to all the over 170 audio episodes. You can watch our video series, our tour series, sign up for our workshops, sign up for events. Like, that's the home base. (laughs) So head over there now. Okay, back to this episode. This is what's coming up. I used to fake being sick in school. Like, I used to fake having tonsillitis. My favorite books as a child were Famous Five. But then I also had like a phase for Sweet Valley Kids, Sweet Valley Twins, Sweet Valley High. I think that's where... No, there was an SVU. There was a Sweet Valley University. Many times I would say, oh, I don't feel like going outside for breaks. Let me just read, right? Let me just stay in the in, in the classroom and read. So one time I asked my dad, like, is that normal? I don't even know why I chose him to ask because my dad is super academic. So he's like, of course it's normal. That's fine. I could say that there have been times in my life though where reading was an escape my mom passed away when I was 11 and I think probably around that time it really helped to kind of just get away from everything that was happening my mom was sick for a long time she had cancer breast cancer definitely losing my mom at 11 did change some aspects of my personality that is Shiko's story is going to be coming up a little later in this episode speaking of story have you checked out the Guinness Black Shines Brightest Stories show? It's a brand new show that Guinness is doing, which is celebrating and amplifying African creatives. This is something Guinness has been doing for years. I remember the first time that I worked with them was in 2015, which was super awesome. We were doing the same thing, celebrating just how dope African creatives are. And the funny thing about that campaign is that I ended up being on a billboard in Kisumu, which is basically home. And my grandma... <laughs> I grabbed it to all of her friends, like a whole squad. <laughs> And she was like, I wanted to take them to this one billboard. I was like, you were going to take a fleet of women to... Okay, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Not going to judge. But back to this show. It is out right now on YouTube. And you get an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look into the stories of some of our favorite African creators. From the peeps behind Uncle Nene's to Suiri Nyakano, who we love on TikTok. To one of the most stylish Kenyans, if you ask me. His name is Brian Musafiri. Like this guy <laughs> never looks bad. I don't know. He just has a way of putting pieces together that is just so fascinating to me. And he was one of the people in the show. Listen to this. In my home, there was a certain way you have to look before you go to church. 
My sister was always the one to come, like, tell me, like, yo, we need to go, we need to go, we need to go. But I, I always had this fear of, you know, leaving the room, not wearing what my dad wants me to wear. But I came out of the room uh, one day looking exactly the opposite of what he wanted. And he, obviously, there was this, like, stare of disapproval on him. But whenever I'd leave my room and my dad would serve me in a certain way, and if there's no approval, I know I look good. What I loved about this is like they did a whole reenactment of this. <laughs> and it could be its own show, actually. But make sure you head over to Guinness Kenya on YouTube. I've put a link to their YouTube channel in the show notes. And you get to watch tons of other stories like Brian's of amazing Africans. Trust me, you probably will be discovering some. There'll be some you'll be like, what? How did I not know about this? So head over to Guinness Kenya on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. And check out the Guinness Black Shines Brightest Stories show. It's super awesome. Right down our alleyway because here we love African stories. All right, let's jump into the song of the week, which is such a beautiful song. It instantly puts me in a good mood. Like when I hear the beginning, which is a bit of like drums, like a short, a few seconds of a drum thing. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not a musician. Anyway, it's like a few seconds instantly. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I love it. So it's by Jadena and the name of the song is Vaporizer. Ah, I love this song. And then these points where there's like some horns that come in. Mm -mm -mm -mm. It is definitely a song that will put you in a good mood. So head over to the show notes and check it out. If you're listening on a platform that doesn't have show notes, just search Vaporizer on YouTube and yeah, happy listening. Okay, let's jump into 100 African stories. Super excited for this one because Shiko is such a light. She is such a light. I have been such a fan of hers ever since I discovered her vlog, The Green Calabash. I just felt like she was always so genuine and in the content creation space sometimes it's very hard to find people who are like super genuine quite a few people are performative so I always felt a very genuine light from Shiko and still feel it today it's still such a huge fan in fact she's the first person who's run an advert for Legally Clueless and it worked really well so it's just like you you're very special to this family of ours so she has written a book yes she's written a book that is so powerful. It's a children's book, but there's something super powerful about the story as to how she got to being a published author. And I really hope that listening to her story will inspire you to pursue whatever dreams you have that maybe you're a bit scared of or you just don't know where to start. I hope this story super inspires you. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Shikonguru and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. So I grew up in a neighborhood in Upper Hill and it was a really nice estate. I come from a family of five kids. So my upbringing was filled with like lots of playing. Like that's what I remember. We had a large field in our estate and we, I mean, that's where we lived, like on the field. Um, we used to play shake and kickball. So I loved, I loved, loved, loved that aspect of my childhood. Another thing, so besides playing and the usual childhood stuff was reading. So I have always been a huge, huge reader. In fact, I used to being sick in school like I used to fake having tonsillitis I don't know why but that was just always the thing so in the school I was in at the time in primary school 
I would be put in this room like behind the nurse's office, which was also the library. So there would be tons of books and I would just read nonstop. And then the school secretary was friends with my mom. So I think I also used to get a pass. So I would go to her and say, Auntie Eunice, I'm feeling sick. And she would say, okay, go, go to the nurse. And then she would put me now in that library. So I would read and read and read. My favorite books as a child were Famous Five. Like those were, okay, Famous Five and Hardy Boys top of the list because I really like adventure and mystery and action but then I also had like a phase for Sweet Valley Kids, Sweet Valley Twins, Sweet Valley High. I think that's where, no there was an SVU, there was a Sweet Valley University. So yeah I had like an action adventure mystery phase with Akina Famous Five. Then there was another one that had seven kids but I forget its name and then Hardy Boys and then yeah we did the sweet the sweet valleys all of them. Well actually 100% the reaction to my being such an avid reader was positive. I know like my mom found this place in town where you could exchange your old books. It was like a book return exchange place because I mean I would read these books so fast she was like come on now. I mean <laughs> I can't afford this habit. So so she found this place where you could just basically go and exchange books so definitely my parents loved it and encouraged it in school i think the only time i was a bit self-conscious about how much i read was in high school because i would like I mean, I had friends in high school, but like many times I would like say, oh, I don't feel like going outside for breaks. Let me just read, right? Let me just stay in the in, in the classroom and read. So one time I asked my dad, like, is that normal? I don't even know why I chose him to ask because my dad is super academic. So he's like, of course it's normal. That's fine. Stay. You don't have to go outside. So of course he was like... Yeah. I mean, my friends, my friends were, were okay with it. I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't feel like going out today. That's fine. Reading can obviously be an escape. Early on, not so much. It was just definitely for enjoyment. I could say that there have been times in my life though, where reading was an escape. Like my mom passed away when I was 11. And I think probably around that time, it really helped to kind of just get away from everything that was happening. In high school also, I was having, I was quite a rebellious teenager. So, so at home, like I was just beefing with my parents nonstop. So yeah, I would shut myself off in my room. And this is before like I don't know. I mean, we had internet, but there was not too many things we could do on useless Nokia's. But yeah, no, definitely there were times I would, you know, close myself off in the room and just read to get away from whether it's problems with my parents or just needing a break from life in general. So yeah, I love reading for that because it's not just a way to explore. It's also a way to escape. I mean, at 11, grief is foreign. I mean, I guess maybe grief is foreign at any age or it's, it's, it's difficult at any age, I should say. Okay. She was sick. My mom was sick for a long time. She had cancer, breast cancer. So in some ways I felt I was perhaps a bit more prepared than let's say someone who loses a loved one in a sudden loss. So that definitely contributed to how I coped with it because I felt like somehow I was prepared, even though my family never told me what was happening. It's like they assumed, okay, she's too young to, to process the sickness, but then they did me a disservice because how was I going to, I mean, how was I going to process the death if I couldn't even, you know, be let into that, that part of what was going on. But you know, kids, kids are much smarter than we, we know and we give them credit for. So I figured out in those years, I just knew, okay, 
she's sick and it's bad. Like I somehow, I, I mean, I almost think it's, it's also just God because I, I somehow just knew it was coming. Like I wasn't, I was sad when it came, but I wasn't shocked. So afterwards, I mean, I have a really sweet dad and I know, you know, he helped me process, not through words because he's not like the sharing type. <laughs> he's not the type to sit you down and be like, how are you feeling? But I just, I just think he was very present both during the sickness, maybe because he knew that I would need him. And then immediately after, just randomly taking me to Yaya. Yaya was a big thing back then. <laughs> to the uh, gaming arcade, whatever it was called. Yeah, so I think I didn't have words to process it, but I think just having that my father being so present really helped me feel like, okay, it's going to be okay. Because I think as a child, that's what you want to know. Like, I'm, am I going to be okay? You're going to be okay. So yeah, I definitely got that from, um, from my dad. Not so much my siblings, and that's not their fault because they were dealing with it too. It was new for them, and they just didn't have the bandwidth now to help this 11-year-old. Like, they are already struggling. Like, they just couldn't help this 11-year-old, but my dad did. I think definitely losing my mom at 11 did change some aspects of my personality. To start with, I think people who get a chance to grow up with their mom, women, I should say, get a chance to grow up with their moms have a different, have, I think, a sense of strength. I don't know, this feminine strength that they get. And also they know how to relate to women of that age. I feel like I still struggle at my big age. Like, I still feel so awkward around older women. I do not know why. Like, I've always just felt so awkward. I feel I feel intimidated. I feel, um yeah, really awkward. I feel, I feel like I don't know how to share with them. And many times they're just looking at me like, yeah, I mean, you're fine. But yeah, I think definitely there's that. For the longest time afterwards, I was really scared of other people in my life passing away. Like I just, and my dad traveled at that time a lot for work. And like every time it was like, oh my gosh, is he going to come back? That passed out, that, you know, that phase passed. But I definitely think it has changed how I relate to other women, older women. Thank God um, we were blessed with a great stepmom. My, my dad did remarry and she's amazing. So I think that did a lot to restore, you know, some of that missing feminine energy in, in my life. Uh, so in high school, that's the... F- High school is the first time I took a creative writing class. So my high school, so I went to Aga Khan Academy. And well, I went to a few high schools. Listen, I transferred so many times. I don't even, and it wasn't because I was like a bad kid. Can I just qualify? It's just that my first school, I just didn't feel was for me. And I wanted to change systems. My second school ended up, this is all in high school. This is like four years. (laughs) My second school, it was a bit of a joke. So even that one, like it was like a weekly boarding school. We hardly did any academics. It was mostly like, oh, let's go to Mount Long or not. It was just, it was fun times. But even I could tell here, here there's nothing I'm doing. So then now I ended up at Aga Khan Academy. And that's the first time I took a creative writing class. And I was just, I mean, that was just mind blowing to me because I also had a really good teacher, Mr. Wandera. I don't know where he is right now, but um, yeah, I had a great teacher and he encouraged us to be, you know, just go be out, think outside of the box, forget the way, you know how in Primoyo told to use these similes, like as cool as a cucumber, you know, <laughs> but like Mr. Andera was really like, no, switch it up as cool as the underside of a, you know, like he really encouraged us to be creative and not cliche. And he also encouraged us to do things like poetry. He also introduced 
us to, I mean, my previous schools hadn't done this. This is why it was so mind-blowing. But like Oscar Wilde, who I just found so witty and so interesting and, you know, tried, you know, write a haiku. And me, who doesn't like poetry, I was like, well, I'm not doing that. But then he'd be like, no, everyone has to, you know. So that was the first time really writing in high school, not, you know, compositions for what did you do over August holidays? And <laughs> they're so bland, but you know, he really pushed us to, he really pushed me to, to now write creatively. That was definitely my first, uh, my first experience of that. Also, um, my history teacher really pushed essays, write an essay. So that definitely helped. So yeah, high school was where I think I, I really started writing. The, the one memory I have of writing something and being told, get serious, was, was, you know, I'm reading all these books, right? Unfortunately, a lot of the books I was reading were not by Kenyans, Africans. So I remember I started this creative writing essay once with like, you know, it was snowing in Manhattan and my Mr. Andera was like, okay, seriously, like, I, I want you to be creative, but come on, like, we're not, because I said, I think it was lower Manhattan. Me, I had never been outside of the country, <laughs> let alone to lower Manhattan, never seen snow, but I'm there like, oh, it was a snowy day in lower Manhattan. And I think, um, I love that he did that because it also got me thinking that, yeah, I mean, it's great to read all these books, but I need to localize, like, it's okay to talk about, you know, it was raining in Upper Hill or in Limuru. It was a cold day in Limuru. I don't have to, like, I mean, the context, yeah, can be local and it can still be a great story. So, yeah, that was... That was quite a time. It was quite a morning because he was happy with the essay, but he was just like, can we not? Can we not have your story be in New York? The funny thing is, even though I had always loved reading and writing and been open about it, I remember one time asking a teacher in high school, but it wasn't my creative writing teacher. It was another one. I don't know why I didn't ask him, but you know, what careers can I pursue that follow or, or where my interests can thrive and she was basically like oh if you want to be a writer you have to be a journalist full stop and for whatever reason I just knew I didn't want to be a reporter I didn't want to do news I didn't want to do journalism and that's where that dream died I do not know why having read all these books I just could not see myself just writing these books like from that moment I was like okay so I'm not I'm not going to do journalism so I'm not going to be an author so when I went to um being an author was not even in my I don't know it was like just not in my mind it wasn't a possibility as soon as she told me writers are journalists and those two things are, that's it that dream I mean I was just like okay moving on so when I went to uni I did history <laughs> I mean I did political science that was my major I loved history and then I decided you know what I'm just gonna work for nonprofits because that's another passion of mine I love Kenya I love Africa I want to help so let me do that but I found that world very I got very jaded <laughs> in the nonprofit world let's say that and so I was like okay also like talking about brands so let me do marketing but after that you know I started working I still wanted this creative outlet so I started a blog and that was now where I did my writing on this blog and it was you know I started the blog when I was pregnant with my first and it was just a way to share the experience to connect with other moms since I was a new mom I was all the way in the US also so it was a way to connect with people at home and then to share and and it was also a creative outlet so the writing was just a hobby from the moment I was told 
if I wanted to be a writer, it was to be a journalist that I was going to be, writing just became a hobby. The blog I started was called The Green Calabash. Came up with the name, I was in the US, like I said, and I wanted something that sounded African. So first I was gonna say something about mangoes. And I was like, no, mangoes, you can get them anywhere. And you know, South America, Florida even. So I was like, okay, maybe not mangoes. Then I just thought of, oh, maybe, okay, so maybe a calabash. That sounds African. Okay, fine, calabash. Then I was like, but then I wanted the name to represent how I felt, which was like something that had potential, like something that was not yet ready, something that was still growing, still about to become. So then I started thinking, okay, so a calabash is useful, but before that, you know, it has to ripen or develop, whatever. So then I, I saw that, you know, they're when they're green, they're not ready. So I was like, okay, so green calabash, that's what I am. Like I'm about to become something that's going to be useful, but I'm not there yet. So that's how I came up with a green calabash. And I think I was about six months pregnant at the time. So I don't remember my first blog post, but I know the first several were just about, oh my gosh, my feet are so swollen <laughs> or my cravings or my back. or I mean, you know, like just about how pregnancy was affecting me. And then, yeah, there were a lot of fears I expressed in the blog. What if I'm not a good mom? Um, I remember one, I wrote a letter to my future daughter because I knew, I knew I was having a girl. And yeah, so it was a it was a great way to, like I said, like just air out, like just get everything in my mind out in a way that I found fulfilling, which is writing. Back then, I remember that the time when blogging was the thing. This is before, this is when Twitter was still new, before people were really on YouTube. So everyone had a blog. Like that was the thing to have a blog. And there was a very strong community of Kenyan bloggers and they, we used to hype each other up. So there were so many comments on the blogs, um, other bloggers, just general readers. So I definitely was like, encouraged us you know i have an audience other new moms or experienced moms would be like it's okay it, i mean it became such a nice forum of encouraging people basically and kenyans see i was all the way out there by myself well no but not by myself i was married by the way i don't think i put that in there <laughs> i was married and um yeah so i was really spurred on by the comments and by the feedback and that made me just continue blogging and blogging and blogging and also just writing was great the blog was the only writing i was doing when i was in the states basically when i left kenya i was really excited to go to the u.s very excited and i enjoyed my time there however i was there for 10 years and i was probably homesick for nine out of those 10, those 10 years. I just knew that I was always going to move back. That was, it was never ever in my mind to stay there. Even when I got married, like I told him, I'm moving back to Kenya. Like I, and he's not Kenyan, so you can imagine. I mean, I just knew this was where I needed to be. So the blog was very much a way of dealing with that homesickness because I would use Sheng and you know or like Kenyan words like it was it was a way to connect with Kenyans very specifically <laughs> and nobody else and yeah it did give me a taste of home and made me feel less homesick because like I like I was saying it was such a great forum um and there was so much back and forth in the comment section so it was like a conversation with people back home through the blog so yeah it was definitely a way to cope with my homesickness like I, lo I loved being in the U.S. but I just love Kenya more so I was 
it was okay so i moved to the us in 2002 fast forward to 2012 i now am married with a 2 year old and i think things started to come to a head when i became a mom i think there's something about becoming a mom that makes you take a hard look at what you want for yourself and for your child what kind of a place do i want my child to grow up in and where do i want to be a mom like how can i be the best mom and for me it was always i need to be surrounded by family i need to be a place where i feel like i have a strong you know network of support i want my child to grow up knowing her cousins you know i want my sisters to be a part of my life and so i think 2010 in november my first born ella was born and from then if the homesickness was bad before when i gave birth to ella it went to like now unheard of levels i was done i was ready i was done but i waited until 2012 and then it was like i had decided i was not going to go back to work in the us so i was just at home i was a stay at home mom we had now moved from chicago to grand rapids michigan which is very white yeah. <laughs> it's just very white so i had no friends i had no life outside of my house with my 2 year old or soon to be 2 year old and that's when i was like i can't this is not this is not what i want for my life and i cannot wait any longer and i was like okay december i'm moving i mean that's it i don't know what i'm going to do in kenya i don't know where i'm going to even live but come december i am leaving i'm not spending another christmas in the us so yeah i think it it came my my desire to move back home came to a head when i became a mom i was like no done finish this story is done first of all the trip from the us to kenya was a nightmare <laughs> like I was with a toddler and I had so many bags. First of all, just getting here was like, "Phew, we made it. We made it." So, the first few days were like a holiday. It felt like and then it's December. So, it really was a holiday. So, of course, my family they're so happy I'm here. Um my parents, their grandchild is here. No one is even wondering like no one even cared what I was going to do. Even I didn't care. Like it was just basically like holiday it felt like finally like it's been 10 years and finally i'm not going back like you know i had visited throughout the 10 years but now it was like i'm home it felt like i am finally home and my daughter is home and then we went to live with my sister who had also moved back from the us herself a year or two before that's another thing both my sisters who had lived in abroad US and Australia had just moved back to Kenya for good like within those 2 years like between 2010 and 2012 so it was like what am i i'm the only one out here my entire family is back home so it was such a nice reunion and then feeling like my whole family for once for the first time in over 10 years we're all in the same country so it was it was such a nice homecoming the first few months after moving let's say the first 3 months were basically spent yeah trying to trying to acclimatize trying to get over some little culture shocks here and there luckily i had like i said i was living with my sister and her little one and she had also just moved back so she was there to guide me through the process and i feel like in those 3 months i will, it just reaffirmed the decision because i felt more like myself than i had in years i remember thinking the version of shiko 
in the US was like a muted version. It was like diluted. It was like a, a bulb, but with a lampshade over it. And then moving back, I just felt like I could be the most concentrated version of myself. So I really, really like enjoyed coming into myself. My daughter who hadn't had playmates because we lived in a house which was you know, you don't go talk to your neighbors and they were a bit far away anyway. So she also was playing with other kids. So I was watching her thrive too. So those first three months were great. And I wasn't, I didn't work. Actually, the first three months I wasn't working. I was just settling in. There were moments when I was like, wow, this is different. I mean, going shopping, the experience was different. I mean, there were so many small, small things actually, but it's not until I started. I knew I was going to work. I mean, I needed to support my child. So I knew I was going to go back to work and I think at work in the workplace is where now I experienced the real shock because when you're just living with your sister and going shopping I mean nothing much was happening it was just a holiday when I went back to work I think the Kenyan working space is very different from <laughs> from any other and uh yeah that was that was different I think that's where I was like hey we're not in the U.S. anymore for sure but it was I mean I knew I had to I didn't have a choice I would uh, this was gonna be my life but at no point did I have I ever, ever regretted moving back? As in, in, if anything, I just, I wish I'd moved back sooner, but never, never regretted it. The sad thing is, during that time of relocation, I, I, I stopped the blog. There was just too much happening. I stopped writing, actually, completely. I ended up then, instead of writing, continuing the blog, The Green Calabash, on YouTube. So, you know, when you're doing videos, it's still storytelling. So I think my need for a creative outlet was still being met through the video content on YouTube. But I wasn't writing. And to be honest, there was so much happening in my life. I had uh, another a son in that time. There was so much happening in my life that writing was not even, I wasn't even thinking about it. To be honest, I, I was not even reading that much. It was just hectic. It was a hectic time. I started writing actually when I took Ella. So Ella was in school, right? And then she was in grade two. She was about to be among the first group of kids to do the new CBC system. Now, if you're a parent and you had a child in grade two at that time, you know it was rocky. I mean, there was just so much that was going wrong and you know, it was a, the learning curve was steep, I think, for teachers and for students to get into this new system. So Ella would come home and she'd be like, I'm so bored in school. Like, and Ella is very vocal. Ella is my firstborn. She's very vocal. And she's, she was like, I'm so bored in school. I'm so bored in school. We're not learning anything. And I was getting so frustrated because I could... You know, she's a very smart girl and I just felt like her potential was being wasted in school. So they ended up closing for the term and at this point I'm doing content creation full time. And so my schedule is really flexible. So I start looking into homeschooling because I'm like, until they figure out what's happening with this new system, let me just teach her myself. She's not learning in school anyway, according to her. Yeah, so pulled her out of school and started homeschooling her which was great. I had a curriculum I was following. Everything was fine. I knew what I was doing for math, for science, for grammar, for literature. But then it came to history and um, African history, which great. You can find, you can find world history books that are super interesting. However, Kenyan history books are not made to encourage 
little children to want to learn about their history. So I was really struggling to find a way to teach Ella about Kenyan history in a way that was exciting and engaging, just like all these other subjects we were doing, which, you know, she was thriving and she was loving, loving them. And these are books I was getting from Amazon. So they were being brought in and, and that's great. But then I really wanted her to learn about our history. And I couldn't find anything. So I decided to write a series of short stories that would teach Ella about Kenyan history. So I wrote the first one and I decided, okay, I know other homeschooling moms are also struggling when it comes to Kenyan history. So let me get this edited by a professional editor and maybe I can share it with my homeschooling community. So I went online and I found this site where you can find an editor for your work, but you have to match each other. Like you have a list, you, you could look at a list of editors and pick one and send in your work. But that editor also is looking at a list of work from different authors and can decline or pick yours. So I end up getting this lady who says, you know what, I'd love to edit this. My She's in the UK. My parents actually lived in Kenya a long time ago. My mom always loved Kenya. So this feels like a coming home for me. I'm like, I. Perfect. Here, take this story. So she read it and she, she made her edits and she's like, actually, I am starting, I, I've been an editor. Okay, the reason I picked her is because she's edited a ton of children's books. There's this amazing show called Horrible Histories and it's just the funniest best kids show ever and she worked on it and when I saw that I was like it has to be her it has to be her because even you know my book had his, a history element to it anyway she said you know I've been an editor for many many years now I'm starting my own literary agency like I'm going to be representing authors would you would you be interested please I was like I'm sorry wait author I mean I just sent you a short story she's like yeah I think I think I want to send this to publishers and we see what happens and I'm like yes where do I sign? Like, just tell me. And she's like, okay, sure. So I signed a contract. Like, it went from wanting to write for my daughter to teach her to an editor in the UK sending my work to publishing houses on that side. So she ended up sending it to a few. She landed on this one publishing house and they they really try and promote authors from the Southern Hemisphere, basically. And they, their whole thing is they want every child to see themselves in the books they read. I mean, perfect. The perfect agency. And they were like, what you've written is a short story. It's it's not a novel. And I was like, I, I know that was a, <laughs> that was never my plan. And then they were like, but it could be the beginning of an, of an entire series. If you just put some thought into it, come up with a proposal and then get back to us. And that's exactly what we did. So we came up, well, I came up with the idea for the Intersimi Warriors. And I was like, okay, so I want to teach about Kenyan pre-colonial history because I feel like that history is so rich and most of our books just start from when the Europeans came like we didn't exist before that so I was like okay so what if I like focus on you know legendary heroes the Luanda Magueres the Sioki Mouse I was like yeah okay so that can be a starting point to teach kids about our history you they'll be more than day kids but they'll have to learn about their history to go on their adventures so that's how the idea for Intersimi Warriors came about the publishing they're called Lantana. That's my publisher. They love the idea. They're like, listen, you can do four books with us. I'm like, yes, I can. I will. And yeah, imagine that's how it happened. We signed on and first book is out, Mikali and the Forbidden Mask. 
honestly, signing the contract just felt like a miracle because this was, I mean, remember, like I've always loved to write, but the idea of being an author has been so out of my realm of thinking that it was like a dream that was buried so deep that it was never going to happen. It was snuffed out so early because I didn't want to be a journalist. So when I signed that contract, I just started thinking the way everything has happened, the decision to homeschool. I mean, if I had never decided to homeschool, even CBC, thank God for that, because it would have kept Ella in school. So everything that happened, it just seemed like, you know, obviously there's a lot that, you know, I had been writing, so it wasn't, it wasn't for nothing that I had experience, skill, I could say, but just meeting this one editor who happened to be start, starting a literary agency who also had like background with our history i mean everything just seemed like the stars pangad themselves perfectly for this to happen and so of course it was so teary like i cried i was like is this happening and and then meeting lantana and that's their vision like that's what they want they want black kids like these on book covers so everything just felt like god really wanted this to happen and he just arranged so many things to make it so so yeah i was just really grateful it just felt like hey you know we need to start telling kids that they can achieve anything like literally sky's the limit like we cannot snuff out dreams that early you know i can't imagine how many kids have been told you can't do this or this is the only thing you can be so yeah no we need to stop that like yesterday the thing with signing a contract is not just you know you have to write you have to write within a certain amount of time like it's not like they say oh you know whenever you're ready no they're like okay so we need to see a draft by such and such a date the writing process is different for everyone so there's people who are called pantsers which comes from the phrase uh, flying by the seat of your pants i guess so they just the story comes as they're Fingers are moving on the keyboard. They just Their imagination just runs wild when they're writing. Then there are plotters who like plot out every single aspect of the book. Book one, I was, <laughs> book one, I was a pantser, I believe. I mean, I knew generally what I wanted the story to be about. I knew what elements I wanted to bring in, you know, magic and girl power and um, the need for self-acceptance. I knew all of those concepts. But as far as like how, what, where, who nothing so that's a bit difficult because you kind of plot as you go chapter by chapter that was my process for book one since then i've become i've become kind of a mix of a pantser and a and a plotter because now i don't plan out everything because some things come to me as i'm writing i'm like oh i know what i'm gonna do there you know like oh this fight scene or i watch something and i'm like that's exactly what i need in my book you know like you you figure stuff out as you go but now i try and have at least bare bones structure from start to finish so that I don't feel so because it's very stressful I have to say being a pantser I find very stressful because you have no idea where you're going <laughs> how you're gonna get there nothing yeah being a bit of both I think works better for me so usually I just start with like an outline a book outline so I know I divide it like into three acts so the first act second act third act I know in the beginning this is the, the inciting incident this is what starts the adventure the middle this is you know the fun and games they're going to do these are the troubles they're gonna get into and then as we get into the end this will be like 
um, you know, they call it the dark night of the soul. This will be like the, the hero is really down and out. And then this is how they get out of it. Like this is, you know, how they'll be triumphant in the end. Once I have that, then the details, those ones just come <laughs> as I'm writing like, oh, let me make this guy have weird hair or like, you know, just things that come or, oh, this monster should look like, oh, I know it should look like, you know, those things come later on. And it's like I'm saying, I can watch, I watch a lot of sci-fi fantasy i watch a lot of tv in general let me just be honest <laughs> someone was saying because like my my continue watching is like it's like so many shows like thumbnails thumbnails because uh, we were talking to someone and they were like do you watch this yeah do you watch this yeah have you watched this yeah i'm watching this and this and this so i watch i get a lot of inspiration <laughs> i have to say so yeah all of that you know enters the book and influences like where the story goes and my writing process <laughs> Hey, imposter syndrome, I think, I think everyone, well, I hope it's not just me, but I think most people have it to some degree. I think creatives have it on another level. And then I felt it quite deeply because it's my, f I've never written a book before, ever, in my life. I've, even the short story I did was like the first one. And yet here I am submitting something to a professional publishing house with professional editors. So now the, the editor who did my short story just became my agent. So now the publishing house has their own set of editors. And I'm like, who am I? What am I doing? So many times I would be like, honestly, did they make a mistake? I mean, did they somehow, you know, they had, they had never seen my work before. They just saw this short story. What if that short story was just a fluke and I am never able to write like that ever again and it wasn't maybe even that great maybe they thought okay now she'll do better and then i don't as in my mind i was stressed so stressed and also i felt like it also felt a bit like kenya has a very i think rich writing community but i had never been a part of it because i never saw myself that way so it also felt like i had bypassed some stage i felt like i've cheated somehow the system because how am i why? How am I the one submitting? So of course, all these thoughts are going through my mind, thankfully, and that's why I thank God for my agent. I sent her the draft first and she's like, this is good, send it. And I was like, thank you. So yeah, but by the time I was sending it, I had all these thoughts, but I had her encouragement and the editors at Lantana read really fast. So the, the feedback came really quickly, like, okay, good. Just work on this, this, this. So and and the good a good publishing houses let you know that you're going to do this together like don't worry by the time we're putting your work through for printing we will be so happy with it all of us so they kind of hold your hand and you know it's okay where we start is not where we're gonna finish you might be feeling like trash but don't worry and but then the imposter syndrome never goes away even as i'm looking at the finished product of Mwikali in The Forbidden Mask, I am struggling with book two because I'm feeling like, what if I can never do that again? What if Mwikali was a one-off? What if people hate it? Why am I even writing a second book and I don't even know how the first one is going to do? So imposter syndrome, I, 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 I follow a lot of other authors and I can see even authors who've had their stuff on Netflix deal with imposter syndrome. And I saw one of them just the other day saying, yes, I've written nine books. Yes, all of them are bestsellers, but I always worry that I'll never be able to do that again so i think it never goes away you just have to kind of fight through it um when my publisher sent the physical copies of the book they uh sent them via courier the courier delivered i didn't open the box for two days what how do you explain that like 
and i remember being told by my friend like what, what like just explain to me slowly why you're not opening the box because it doesn't make any sense but i don't know it's just it's like it's like a win is too much to handle like you're so used to the disappointments and it's like when the win comes it's like oh i don't think i can take it. it it'll just be overwhelming so yeah we need to sit in our wins and i need to get better at that like just like you know what i did it and i feel good about it and i can continue to feel good about it for some time not that it's just like okay now let me struggle with the next book unfortunately ella was is she's traveled right now she's gone away for the summer summer I mean, why do we call it the summer? But she's gone away for the school holiday. Um, so she hasn't seen the physical copy of the book yet. My boys do not understand. However, Ella has been so excited about this. Like, seeing how proud she is of me, honestly, is enough. Like, if no one else is proud of me, like, she was like, you have to save me a signed copy. I want copies from my friends. I'm going to, I mean, because I sent her photos. She's like emojied my whole, the whole screen was just emojis. So she's so proud of me. And, you know, she's a, she's a huge reader. Ella reads a lot. And she reads right now, she's reading young adult books, like thick, thick books. So she appreciates writing and how important it is to become an author. So she gets it. Like, she gets it's a big deal. And she m reminds me that it's a big deal, which feels so good. It feels so good. So I can't wait for her to come. She's coming um in, like, a week. So I cannot wait to give her, like, a copy of this book. Because, I mean, I wrote it for her. Like, I wrote it so that kids like her, who look like her, who look like my boys, who look like me, can see Kenyan names on book covers and Kenyan characters or black kids, you know, on book covers. So I wrote it for them. So I'm so happy that they're proud of me. I mean, the boys will understand one day. But right now, <laughs> right now, it's just Ellen. She's she's so proud. Kwanzaa when she saw like, you know, and then it's a girl. So the first main character is a girl. The next one will be a boy. But for Mwikali, it hits her hard because she's like, oh, she's a girl. And, you know, she's badass. And yeah. Well, okay. So. Mwikali and the Forbidden Mask is right now available on Amazon and wherever books are sold in the UK. However, we will be announcing a local distributor hopefully soon. My publisher is working on that. They want to get someone here who can, you know, produce and distribute the books. So hopefully I'll be able to announce that soon. Message for creatives, black creatives especially. Something I've learned is how hungry the world is for our point of view don't think you don't have anything to say or to offer because i feel like the world is ready and hungry to see whatever art it is whether you're a, you know a musician or a painter we have a unique point of view just based on the fact that our experience as africans is different and they are hungry for it. They they are looking for it. They're actually looking for it. You know, when I when I got in touch or when I was connected with the publishing house, they were so happy. They've never heard of characters from, from I mean, we've all heard of Zeus. We've all heard of Poseidon. They'd never heard of Luanda Magari and they think he's amazing, you know. So I I really want us as creatives to know that we have so much to offer the world and a world that needs it kids that need it so we have to keep we have to keep putting our stuff out there just don't stop putting your stuff out there i wish i had never stopped blogging but whatever you're doing just keep doing it because whether or not you're 
remunerated for it you're enriching the world just by putting your stuff out there and it's not um arrogant or it's not conceited to want the world to see your work it's actually very giving you're being generous like put your work out there we want to see it the world needs to see it it makes the world a better place when you keep producing your art so that's my message for for creatives like me Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. How beautiful was that story and that journey? And it just makes you so much happier for her having this published book because it's a dream that started so many years ago when she was so much younger. Man, I really do believe we need to be careful with who becomes a teacher, who has access to endorsing and supporting the dreams of children or killing them altogether. Like that's so important. Another thing that stood out was just like representation. We talk about it, but not only is it important for adults to let's say in adverts, let's let's for example look at African women. So in adverts around beauty, etc., there's still this push, we've made some progress, but still this push to have representation. So we want to see women who look like us in those adverts. Not that you're setting very westernized beauty standards. So then what are you telling me? If I don't fit into that, I'm not beautiful. You know what I mean? So it's important for adults. So can you imagine for children, it must be important on steroids for them to open up a book and read author names that are very familiar to them, read stories where it's black or African kids or people, stories that look like the environment that they live in, you know what I mean? Stories about their past and their ancestors and their history. It's so important. So this book is where <laughs> so timely, so necessary. I actually even got a copy for my two-year-old niece who probably can't even hold the book right. <laughs> but in five years... <laughs> She will be reading it. So what I've done is in the show notes, I've put a link to Shiko's platform on Instagram so you can connect with her there. And I've also put a link to the Amazon page where you can buy the book. And of course, if you follow Shiko, once she announces where it's available on the continent in Kenya, you'll be able to see that and cop the book. All right. Do remember that this podcast plays on Trace FM in Kenya, which is super awesome. We love our Trace family. So if you go to traceradio.co.ke, there's a list of all the frequencies if you want to tune in the old-fashioned way or you're going on a road trip. And you can catch us there every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. And if you want to share your story on this podcast, in the show notes, there is a Google form. Fill it out and then put a contact that, you know, you check regularly. so that you do see my email when it comes through. But fill out the form. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You are African. You have an African story. You're valid. We want to hear it. And we have the option of recording your story virtually if you're not in Nairobi or in Kenya or in any of the places we're going to be touring very soon. But if you're in Nairobi or Kenya, we also have the option of recording it in person. All right, it's time for me to end this episode here. I can't believe I'm going to have an entire Sunday to just like chill. What do you do on Sundays? For the longest time, Sunday was just like work, night shifts, hell. (laughs) And now that it's silent all day, every day here, I can do my work across the week. So I don't know. What am I meant to do on a Sunday? Anyway, goodbye. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. 
That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.